and welcome to These Go to 11. I am Zachary Bartles. Nathan is tied up tonight with some school stuff. And so this week I'm shooting a bonus app your way by way of a sermon called Believe in God. And because, Hans, babe, this is radio, not television, I should tell you that the word in is in parentheses. But before we get started with that, let me take a minute to float something your way. I've just launched a Kickstarter campaign for recording and producing all of my novels as audiobooks. You see, as of now, only the book I recorded as a podcast has been available in audio form. But I know there are lots of people out there who consume most of their pleasure reading via audiobooks. And I'm actually one of those people. And if you, too, like your books in audio form, maybe consider helping to crowdfund my audiobook project. You can find it at www.zacharybartles.com audio. I greatly appreciate every backer, and I'm excited to deliver exciting, suspenseful audiobooks to everyone who gets on board. Once again, that's www.zacharybartles.com audio. Oh, and before we get to the main content of this bonus app, I should read you the text for the sermon you're about to hear. It is Matthew 17, 14 through 23. I'm going to read it out of the ESV, or as Chris Roseborough calls it, the English Sanctified Version. And when they came to the crowd, a man came up to Jesus and, kneeling before him, said, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he has seizures and he suffers terribly. For often he falls into the fire, and often into the water, and I brought him to your disciples, and they could not heal him. And Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the boy was healed instantly. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? He said to them, Because of your little faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. There was a missionary named John Patton. He was, he was a Scottish guy. And uh, he was a missionary to a group of people that had never heard the gospel. They were in a little island in the South Pacific, and he was privilege to bring them the gospel of Jesus Christ for the first time. And he he showed up. He had kind of a two-pronged strategy when he arrived. He said, I am going to preach the gospel as soon as I have any ability to speak this language. The basic gospel. Jesus died for you. Repent and believe and you will be saved. At the same time, I am going to try and master their language and translate the scriptures into their language because we know God's word does not return void. And once the Bible gets in there and starts doing its thing, it's going to be crazy. And so he had these two things going. And yet he ran into the same problem with both prongs of his strategy. And that was as he learned the language of the people, he could not come up with the right word for believe or have faith in. Because he, he looked at all of the options and none of them quite landed right. I mean, it's a very important concept in the scriptures and there's layers to it. And so he had a few possible uh, solutions to this. Either he could make up a word, which, you know, the word baptize is just made up. It's taken from the Greek baptizo. They went, yoink, that's English now. He thought, maybe I'll do that with the Greek for believe. He thought, no, it's, that's just that's too hard. It's too confusing. Maybe I should take a word that's just as close as I can get. Maybe it means agree with or, or make a deal with or something. And he thought, no, that's, that's going to that's gonna 
confuse people. And, and, and then he thought, maybe I'll, every time the word believe or faith occurs in the Bible, I'll, I'll translate it with a real long phrase that explains what biblical faith is. And he was mulling over these options and wrestling with this in his, his little hut when a friend of his that was part of his new church came by at the end of the day. And he sat down next to Patton in a chair, and he put his feet up on another chair. And he said, oh, it feels so good to... And then he used a word that Patton didn't know. He said, oh, he got out his notebook. He said, that's a word I don't know. What does it mean? And the guy explained, he's like, that's kind of an obscure word. He, He explained that what he was saying was, at the end of a long day on his feet, a long day of work, it felt so good to put his whole weight on something. And Patton was like, that's it! And this friend was like, no, what? And, and he said, that, ah, ah, I got it. And he wrote down this word, and he wrote down faith and believe, and he thought about it for a minute, and he said, that clicks just perfectly. Biblical faith to put your whole weight on something. To let it all rest on something, trusting that it will hold you up. And if you're anything like me, you've got a whole bunch of King James Bible verses floating around in your head from when you were a kid and you memorized them all. And it's interesting that whenever we are in the new translations, it always says, believe in Jesus, right? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. In the King James, it always says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. They're both okay. The word ace in Greek, it means in, into, on, upon. But what a picture. Faith is putting everything on Jesus. He says, come to me. You you feel weighed down by your sin, by your attempts to take care of your sin yourself, by life, by worry, by all your strength. Just crushed and weighed down. Put it all on me. Put all the weight of it on me. Upon me. That's biblical. That's saving faith. And it's something God grants us. And, and people, they think they've found Jesus sometimes, but they, they haven't. They've, they've found a friend. They've found a genie. They've found a teddy bear. They've found someone who doesn't want to take the whole weight, but just a little bit. You know, I'll do this, but when I'm at capacity, I'll say, hey, Jesus, could you grab that one? And he'll help me along. Or rather than Jesus picking me up and carrying me into the presence of God, I run myself and he sees me turn my ankle when the finish line is is in sight and he comes along and he's like, here, come on, buddy, and we limp through together. That's not biblical faith, not a bit. No, all the weight of my sin is on his shoulders on that cross. And even when we have followed him and been born again, we have a tendency to kind of hold our weight back. It's like when Aaron and I are lying in bed together. It's, it's not weird, unless you make it weird. And, and sometimes she'll be really tired. She'll say, come here and give me a hug. And I'll, I'll hug her, and I'll have my, sh- my head on her shoulder. And that's nice. It's a nice you know, way to be with, with, with my wife together, hugging her for about two minutes until my neck starts to hurt like crazy. You see, for some reason, maybe it's because I'm the man and I should always be the big spoon and I should always be the hugger. Or more likely, it's because I can hear like the ball and socket joint of her shoulder, like through the... But I hold my head up. I don't put the full weight on her. I realize I'm not even, I'm not resting the full weight, even of my head, which is rather empty, not all that heavy, on her shoulder. You know, we, we don't want to hold back. All of faith is a gift to us. All of it was done by Christ. Repentance is granted to us. Don't try to hold it up yourself. Give it to 
him. And what's wild is, there are, there are many of us who have put our faith on him, trusted him totally for salvation, and we try to hold back after the fact. I'm talking about people, and, and I'm sure there are some of us here doing this now, who have believed in Jesus, who believe on Jesus, but who don't believe Jesus. Like, like if there's someone who, they're, they're a real Lions fan, right? You go down in their basement, it's just Lions, 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 jerseys, foam fingers, you know, posters, and they say, no, oh, I believe in the Lions. Someday, Super Bowl rings, there's going to be, I, I believe. Finally, the winning season's coming. And, and, and you say, really? Wow. Well, they're playing well, this, I don't know about football, just pretend I do. They're playing the Seahawks this week, and they said they're going to win. You believe? I believe in them. No, but you believe them? Because if you do, why don't we make a wager? And say 500 bucks. Easier to believe in them than to believe them in that case, isn't it? And we find the same thing happening by those who follow Jesus. Often we fall into that trap. It's nothing new. The very first people to ever believe in Jesus did this. His disciples. They believed in him, for sure. Or he wouldn't have called them as the twelve. They, they, they believed in some level. They believed in him. But he commends them for leaving everything for him. Fields and houses and mothers and fathers and children. And says they'll be rewarded for it. And yet, at every turn, Jesus is rebuking them, saying, why don't you believe me when I tell you stuff? Example, Peter. Peter, he, he's got great faith. He's got great doctrine. When Jesus says, who do you say that I am? Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. So this is not just that he understands he's the Messiah, the anointed one, promised. He sees Christ's divinity. And Jesus says, great, this, this faith, this Belief, this confession, it's not even from you. It came from God. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. And then he says, okay, since you understand this stuff, come here, guys. i got to tell you the main reason I came. When we get to Jerusalem, I am going to be rejected. I'm going to suffer many things at the hands of the scribes and the chief priests and the, the Pharisees and the elders. I'm going to be mocked. I'm going to be beaten. And I'm going to be killed. And Peter who just said, you're the anointed one and you're divine, takes Jesus aside and begins to rebuke him. He says, far be it from you to say these things. What what a condescending... When people say, far be it from me in in, in my life, I kind of want to slap them because that that itself is condescending. Far be it from you? And he's talking to Jesus. Jesus, far be it from you... Jesus rebukes him back. Get behind me, Satan. You don't have in mind the things of God, but the things of man. Because it's almost like Peter believed in Jesus so much, in his version of what Jesus should be, that he didn't believe Jesus when he said, this is why I came. They didn't believe when he said he would be raised again. Every time he said, I will be put to death, he always said, and on the third day, rise again. Right? You'd think that when he rose again, they would have been ready for it. When he died, they would have said, what was the stuff he said? He'd die, and then... No, they weren't, though. We saw that on Easter. We looked at that doubting Thomas. And, and, and we saw that, that doubting Thomas wasn't present, so he didn't believe Jesus' words, his promise, what he would do. We, we see that, that when the women came and said, we've seen the Lord, he's alive. They were all like, what? Come on. 
We're not going to listen to you women. Probably got the vapors or something, all right? Just calm down. By the way, listen to the women. That's always helpful. They won't listen to Jesus, let alone believe what they're hearing from their fellow followers of Jesus. Only Peter even believed enough to go and check it out and John with him. We don't believe Jesus when he says things that we don't want to hear. Like in this life, you will face many troubles, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Or the world will hate you, but they hated me first, and that's why they'll hate you. And you think, okay, we believe in him, we believe him, we expect that. And yet this week, this past week, did you hear about this thing where there was a picture of these kids at prom and they were praying, and someone posted it on Twitter and says, isn't this nice? And there was this huge backlash. Oh, that's no, it's not nice. Why is that nice? Who, 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 what, what's, what's the point of that? Yeah, they're praying. And I heard Christians freaking out. Outrageous! How dare these people mock these young kids for praying? Of course they do. The world hated Jesus, and they will hate us. Believe it. That's what Jesus said would happen. Don't let it blow your mind. We don't even believe Jesus about the easy stuff sometimes. Jesus said, seek and you will find. Seek and you will find. More and more in the church, what I see is seek and seek and seek and seek because it's fun to seek and it's interesting to seek and it makes you seem deep. Right? It's very popular in the world right now to seek God. I'm seeking God. Ooh, deep. Wow, spiritual. But the moment you say, oh, I found him. What? You're a freak. Right? You're... I can't believe it. Well, you know, just seek, seek in the uncertainty and, and kind of swirl around in the mystery. But Jesus said, seek and you will find. When you open God's word, do you expect just to seek and go, okay, check, I did that? Or do you expect to find him and encounter him? Hebrews 11.6, without faith, it is impossible to please God for whoever would draw near to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. He rewards us by finding us, by meeting us when we seek Him. And certainly we don't believe when we read things like Matthew 18, 19. If two or more of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. John 14, 13. You ask in my name, whatever you ask, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Or our text today, when Jesus says, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move over here, and it will move. That, that, that phrase, moving mountains, that's a very common uh, rabbinical way of talking about doing what seems to be impossible. So Jesus is saying, if you have the smallest measure of faith, then you will be able to do what seems to be impossible. And we read that and go, huh, I wonder what that means. Right? I can't believe him because I did that when I was a kid and certain things didn't happen the way that I had hoped. And when I prayed, I didn't see the answer that I wanted. And so we, we wonder what that could mean. Now, let's look at the context because that's always important with a passage like this. This is happening right after the transfiguration of Christ. He is up on the mountain. He's with Peter, James, and John. Moses and Elijah stopped by as well. They see the divinity of Christ revealed, unveiled to them. We, as the reader, see just how exalted, high, and lifted up this Jesus is. Then he comes back down the mountain, and we read, when he reached the crowd, a man approached and knelt before him. Now Jesus sees 
the lack of faith. Lord, he said, have mercy on my son because he has seizures and suffers terribly. He often falls into the fire and often into the water. I brought him to your disciples, but they couldn't heal him. Now, Luke tells us this is this man's only son. I, don't, I can't even imagine this. We have one son, and if he was continually near a fire or near water or something, I knew that he'd be seized and began to fall down. I would be desperate. I would be so worried. I'd be so scared for my son, my only son whom I love. Jesus responds in not such a lovey-dovey manner. He responds in perhaps annoyance, in exasperation. In verse 17, you unbelieving and perverse generation, how long will I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Let me hop over to Mark real quick, because in Mark's account of this same event, I think we see the exasperation even clearer. Mark 9, uh, this is in chapter, uh, uh, verse 22, uh, he says many times uh, the, the Spirit has thrown him into the fire or water to destroy him, but if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus repeats that back to him. He says, if you can, if you, if you can, everything is possible for the one who believes. It's almost like he can't even believe what he's hearing. He responds in disbelief to this guy's unbelief. If you can, everything is possible for the one who believes. Immediately the father cried out, I do believe, help my unbelief. I do believe, help my unbelief. What an incredible prayer. In this man's doubt and his struggle, he becomes for us an example of how to approach lack of faith in ourselves. I believe, Lord, help my unbelief. Strengthen my faith and chip away at my unbelief. Do away with my unbelief. It makes no sense to hide it from God. He knows. It doesn't make sense to go to him and say, oh Lord, I, I do believe you can do this, when deep down, I don't know if I do. I don't know if I even have that mustard seed of faith. I've been there trying to convince myself and trying to convince God. Rather, this man simply owns this struggle. I've already brought him to your disciples. I got my hopes up and I got burned. Now, I don't know. I believe. Help my unbelief. Both of them are present in me right now, fighting with each other. We talked a bit about doubt on Easter, about how it can be a tool if you move through it, how it can be helpful. When you struggle with it, it strengthens your faith. You shouldn't banish it or ignore it or stuff it down deep. Deal with it, but we don't want it to become our permanent address. I, I worry about that trend in the church today. The more someone expresses their doubt, the more we're like, wow, that's authentic. Follow that person. Well, Jesus said to doubting Thomas, what? Stop doubting and believe. Move through your doubt. Don't get comfortable there. Let God make you uncomfortable and meet you there in your discomfort and struggle with it. That's what this father wants to do because he does believe and he wants to believe, but he's got some stuff swirling around in his mind that's holding him back. He's got some obstacles. So Jesus says, bring him here to me. Verse 18, we're back in Matthew. Then Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and from that moment the boy was healed. Then the disciples approached Jesus privately and said, why couldn't we drive it out? Why couldn't they? 
Was it because they didn't use the right words? Was it because they didn't pray hard enough? Was it because they should have sent that like $30 seed offering into the guy on the TV? Jesus answers with a very simple, straightforward answer. Because of your little faith, he told them. Because of your little faith. Faith and healing and, and faith and restoration are always tied together in Jesus' ministry because they're all, all the things that Jesus does in his healing ministry are pictures for us of what he does for us spiritually. Bringing sight to the blind. The lame walk. The dead live again. All of these things. And so we read again and again Jesus' words in the Gospels, if you uh, believe, if you believe. And then when people uh, stand up, on legs that were lame moments before, he says things like, your faith has made you well. Your faith has healed you. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Rise and go on your way. Your faith has made you whole. And then we read in in this passage that if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you will tell this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Now, we have spent... In our school of prayer on Wednesday night, we have, we have spent hours and hours looking at these kind of promises. When Jesus says, whatever you ask in my name, it will be done for you. And there are many, many qualifiers that go along with these promises that we could focus on. You must ask in my name, and that doesn't mean Jesus' name. Those syllables are a magic word. Rather, that means in keeping with God's character. Who he is. God, God's will, if you will. Uh, we must ask for the glory of the Father. That God's glory must be in our minds. Uh, it, John says in John 15, if you're abiding in me, Jesus says, if you're abiding in me, whatever you ask in my name, it will be done. But the one thing that comes almost every time there's one of these promises, again and again and again, is if you ask anything and believe you have received it. Like past tense. That's going Old Testament. The Old Testament perfect tense, which means it's done, and the imperfect tense, which means it's not. And there's a lot of times where there are prophecies made. God has given us the victory today, and the battle hasn't even happened. But it's in the perfect tense, like it's already happened. Believe that you have received it. You know, the whole Old Testament, it's like a continual, uh, repetitive case study of God overcoming the greatest of obstacles to redeem and restore His people, showing that He is able to do all things and nothing can stop Him. Not mountains, not, oh, there's a sea in the way? Okay, go ahead. Go, go. Um, go. Again and again. And then when Jesus comes on the scene, We see the disciples struggling with, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. If I have faith the size of a mustard seed, I can say, but what does this mean? Let me really get down into it. That Acts passage that Lisa read for us, prime example of how I think our prayer lives often lack the believing. They might have the believing in, but they lack the believing. The believing that Jesus says is prerequisite for receiving. And Peter's in, in prison And they're afraid they're never going to see this guy again. Not alive anyway. And so the women of the church have an all-night prayer meeting. They're up praying. It's late. They're praying and praying fervently. Somebody there believes that they will receive it. It seems like that's Rhoda, the servant girl. Peter Peter doesn't even believe that the miracle has happened, right? He thinks it's a vision. He's like, well, this can't be real. God wouldn't do that. Why not? Finally, he, he, oh, it is real. And so he goes 
to the home of Mary. He's like, I'm going to tell these people their prayers have been answered. Rhoda answers the door, sees Peter there. Wow! Slam! Leaves him there. Goes and tells everyone praying, Peter's here. That must be his angel. You know how sometimes you thought you saw someone and it was their angel? Now, stop being silly so we can get back to praying for Peter's release. When you pray, are you expecting... Look, when you seek, you're expecting to find them here. When you pray, are you expecting God to answer in mighty ways? If not, maybe that's why you've gotten so discouraged and thought that God doesn't answer in mighty ways. We see this in our prayer lives. We see this in our sanctification. We see how we, we don't expect God to be at work in our lives past a certain point. Well, I guess I'll always be struggling with this sin. I guess that's just who I am. Oh, I guess that I've tried several times to, to overcome this. It says in Romans 8, you are more than conquerors in Jesus Christ. Not, not, I mean, it's one thing to be conquerors. I don't even know what more than conquerors is. We're more than conquerors. And we say, isn't that cool? I think I'll buy a Bible cover that has that silk screened on it and then still live in defeat my whole life. There's a story about Napoleon that he was one time on his horse and he was looking at some uh, maps and papers and things and something spooked his horse and it reared back. And there was a guy who was a corporal and the grenadiers ran up, grabbed the reins, steadied the horse, maybe saved Napoleon's life, maybe at least saved him a broken leg or something. Napoleon looked at him and said, thank you very much, Captain. And he said, of what company? And Napoleon said, of my guard. And the guy took his musket, gave it to the guy next to him, ripped off his corporal stripes, ran over to the officers. They said, what are you doing here? He said, I'm a captain. The emperor just said so. Now, I could see if that was me, grabbing the reins, studying the horse. Thank you, captain. <laughs> You're welcome. I mean, I wouldn't be with Napoleon. I mean, I'm just saying. <laughs> But he could have gone through the rest of his life just bragging about the time Napoleon called him captain. But instead, he acted on it. He believed that it was true. And he went and lived the rest of his life as if it were true. That's biblical faith. The size of a mustard seed to just go, more than conquerors? Okay, let me act like it. Let me expect that you're at work in me. Let me expect that you're at work in our church. Let me expect that when there are obstacles, regardless of how large they are, you are able and willing and will overcome them. Bring us around them. Flatten them. Take us over them. Whatever it takes. You know, we're Baptists here. Sometimes people argue whether Baptists believe in miracles. Hey, we got a miracles happening every week in Baptist churches. Right? We don't turn water into wine. We take molehills and we make these huge mountains out of them. <laughs> Let me tell you what, if you're looking at something you're praying for, it's for your church, it's for your spiritual walk, it's for your sanctification, it's for a, a friend that you want to see come to faith, it's, it's whatever, and you see this mountain, it's probably a molehill. It's probably perspective. You're probably laying down like this, looking up at the, at the anthill going, oh, I'll never get over that. But even if it is enormous, even if it is something that, that makes your, your doubt start to bubble up and your faith start to feel brittle and weak, own your doubt. 
your unbelief, your lack of faith. Put the full weight of it on Jesus, trusting him to bear it up. Don't manage it. Don't justify it. Don't get on Google and find some limp Bible scholar who will be like, oh, well, texts like this are a clear use of hyperbole and the Mathean community embellished a true stuff. No, I believe. I believe, God, that you can do anything. I believe that if I abide in you, whatever I ask in your name, for your glory, you will do it. For me, for my church, for my neighbors, for my enemies. And whatever mountainous obstacles stand in my way will be pushed aside. I believe. Help my unbelief. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the struggles of the disciples to believe you even when they believed in you. And Lord, we all have felt that as well. And Lord, when we believe in you, but we struggle to believe you, we pray that we would struggle with the doubt, wrestle with the doubt, put the weight of it on you, and Lord, not get comfortable there. That we would be willing to have the uncomfortable encounter with you or uncomfortable conversation with a fellow believer to get things out in the open and say, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief so that my faith will be strengthened. So that our unbelief will be the thing that is brittle and withering away. So that our faith will be the size at least of a mustard seed. And we would see that you are overcoming obstacles. That we are more than conquerors in you. In your name we pray. Amen. These go to 11.